You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Eddie Tilly. Sakes alive. Hey, how has service been so far? Woo! Man, that worship was amazing, wasn't it? So good. Okay, yeah, y'all aren't tracking with me. I can tell everybody's distracted. So let's just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. All right? Because I know what everybody's thinking. Everybody, every one of you is thinking, what in the world do I have to do to get me one of those? You can't get one. Designer original, only one in existence. I'm wearing it. Thank you. Shout out to Miss Deborah Malone for making that happen for me. Deborah Malone, designer original. If I still have to wear it next week, I'm going to take it to Miss Blakely, let her bedazzle it a little bit, maybe put a little something extra on there. So why am I wearing it? Well, daggone it. I had shoulder surgery. Um, What was it? It was four, five, four weeks ago this past Thursday, five weeks ago this past Thursday. Yes, five weeks ago this past Thursday, rotator cuff surgery. And, you know, I started out just like the rest of you. When I was born, I had a nice, healthy, young, good-looking arm. But, man, wear and tear, right? I mean, it just wears you out. So we got some pictures. If you're squeamish, look away. This is the inside of my shoulder. Look at that. Top right there. That's why I had the surgery. Everything kind of shredded and tore up in there. I want to camp out on this next one. Put this next one up, and here's why I want to camp out for just a minute. Okay, so here's the repair work being done, and this is why I want to stay here for just a minute. Because I know there's some people in this room, because this was an extremely expensive surgery, right? If it wasn't for insurance, I'd just have to tape the sucker to the side of my leg or something. I don't know. So I got that insurance explanation of benefits. I was like, dang. The pieces, parts they put up in there. Then I got this, these pictures from the doctor. And so I know, just like every electrician in here and IT person in here knows, when you see that blue and white string, you're like, Eddie, dude, that's pull string. They sell that at the Home Depot. You can get 1,000 feet of it for 15 bucks in a five-gallon bucket. And I hate to break it to you, but them fancy screws they told you they were using, them right there, them drywall anchors, man. I use them in my house all the time. You can get five of them in a pack for 95 cents. Lowe's or Home Depot. So, but no, here's the crazy thing about technology. Those little white screws right there. Back in the day, well, I say back in the day, probably as soon as last year, I would have had to have like metal put in there. Those are calcium screws that literally will just be part of my bone in about a year. So my body won't even know I had any bones put in there. So I have had shoulder surgery. Now here's the thing about it. All that repair work has been done. Everything in here is brand new. I had two muscles that were completely torn all the way through, so they reattached those. The other two, they sewed them up because they had bad tears in the top of my bicep. So all of that work, this is a brand new shoulder. But I am not experiencing it right now. (laughs) And no matter how bad I want to experience it, I can't. I have to trust the person that did the surgery, that gave me all the new stuff, and follow his instructions if I want to experience a brand new shoulder. Does that sound familiar to y'all? Sounds a little bit familiar to me, right? So that's why I'm sitting in this sling. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's frustrating and it's aggravating. And you got to put everything in perspective, right? Because when I had the surgery, I went back three days later. They said, all right, man, you're going to be in the sling for six weeks. Yada, 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 bing, bing, bing. Do this, do that. So I went back last, this, this past week, Monday, which was right between four and five weeks. And they're running down the list for everything, da, 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 da. And they said, well, how you feeling? I said, I'm feeling great. Got any pain? Nope. Take a little bit of Tylenol every now and then at night to help me sleep. All right, well, you're good, man. You're halfway through. You're at the four-week mark, only four weeks to go. I said, "Mm -mm, nope, hang on. Six weeks is what you said to me. And if you were curious, that's a week from this Thursday, not that I'm counting. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, six weeks is like for a normal surgery. Yours was very, very extensive, so you're eight weeks. Mm, That's what you call bait and switch. (laughs) 
right there, bait and switch. If they'd have told me eight weeks, three days later, when I was kind of still knocked off my gourd with the daggum anesthesia and painkillers, I'd have had a completely different reaction to that scenario. But here I am. I have a brand new shoulder, and I am at least smart, so I am following the doctor's order. I can use my hand. I can hold this mic. works out great for that. I'm just not allowed to do lifting like this. I have to wait. They were like, look, man, it takes time. That stuff has to reattach to your bone. Then it's got to get strong enough where we can start manipulating it and twisting it all around. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm down for that. Then he told me this. Now, I got a little bit of doubt with this. I'm not sure about this man's capabilities. He said, Eddie, I'm going to tell you, man, when I was in there doing your shoulder, it looks good. I looked at your shoulder socket. You got the shoulder socket of an 18-year-old. That's what I'm talking about. 18-year-old shoulder socket. Then he said this. This was his mistake. Yeah, when you get on the other side of this, the rehab and everything is going to be like turning the clock back 20 years. All right, now either that sucker can't do math. I would love for 18 to have been 20 years ago. 18 wasn't even 30 years ago. 18 was pretty much daggum four decades ago. So I'm not sure. I'm going I'm to claim the 18-year-old, though. I'm going to go with that. So I'm going to say we're going to wind the clock back about 40 years when I get on the other side of this. Why am I bringing all that up? Well, when I was, when I was going through this and preparing for the message and just thinking about my, my passion, if you were to say, Eddie, what are you passionate about when it comes to having an opportunity like this to speak to people you know, about Jesus, about God? My passion is always helping people to understand what in the world is going on. Because I think for most people, Christians included, they get very confused when they start living this life. And I see the extremes, right? Um, I see this extreme over here, which I would call religious, which is when somebody comes to you and says, hey, man, I know you're one of them Jesus followers. Like, what's life like for you, man? Like, do you, you, you ever struggle? You ever have any hard times? Glory to God, not me, brother. I'm bought and sold by the blood of the land and hung on the cross for my sins. I ain't got no problem. I wake up every morning with a glorified God, the son of the most high king, the majesty, sitting on the throne of heaven. I ain't got no problem. Now, when you walk away from somebody like that, you're like, all right, let me go find somebody that's living in reality. <laughs> well, then you got the other side of the spectrum, right? It's like, hey, man, I know you're like a follower of Jesus. Like, you, know, you ever have any troubles? You ever have any struggles? Oh, God, man, yeah, my life sucks, man. That's just terrible, you know. Yeah, I started following Jesus a few years ago. I thought that would help, but I, my finances are still a mess, and my wife left me, and my dog's got three legs now. And then, and then I got this gerbil named Hamster, and it's just, it's just a mess, man. You know, I just wake up every morning just praying I can get through the day. All right, well, neither one of them extremes work for me. I don't know about you, but the truth is there, there's a little bit of truth in both. There's truth in what this person over here is saying in terms of his position and his access and what he has, and there's truth in what that person is saying is, man, life's just coming at me, and I don't know what to do about it. What I love to help people do is say, Let, let's find out how to live this Christian life in reality. Because we don't want to stick our heads in the sands like this life isn't hard, right? We don't want to ignore what this life has to bring. But at the same time, we don't want to deny the power of God and Christ to bring supernatural help into our life. So let me just sort of use my shoulder as an example to get us into today's topic, which is keeping your faith. And I want to start off with the fact of when I became a Christian in 1990, if you've ever heard my story, I had a very radical salvation, extremely radical. So I became a completely different person, on fire for Jesus, obnoxiously radical. My feet never touched the ground for a year. I woke up every single day day and could feel the presence of God. I talked to God out loud every single day, and it was amazing. But I'll never forget the first morning that I woke up, and I felt nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. And immediately, I was in a whirlwind. Like, I was like, what, what did I, God, what did I do? That was my first thing, was, God, what, where are you at? I'm sorry, whatever. I, did, I wasn't aware that I'd done anything. I was like, what did I do? Because clearly you're not here. I can't sense you. I can't feel you. Like you've gone and, and I don't know why you would leave because we've been having such an awesome year together. It's been amazing and you've shown me so much and taught me so much. Like what is happening? And that threw me for a loop for months. 
And the problem was I was a brand new baby Christian. I didn't grow up in church. So I didn't know anything. And I was, I was devouring the Bible. I was listening to somebody every single morning on the way to work, learning the Bible, learning what it has to say about me. And I had this radical salvation. So I was different. I was 100% different. I had changed. What I hadn't learned yet as a Christian was that, yes, Eddie, you have changed. You are different. But that world is still exactly the same. And what I wasn't aware of was there's these little things that happen to us along the way. You know, just these little things that knock you a little bit off balance and you try to ignore them. Just like this shoulder. I'm sure over the last, because people always say, what? So you had two muscles completely torn through, the other two about it. What, did you fall down a flight of stairs? No, I have no idea what I did. There was no catastrophic event that led to it. It was just life. It was just wear and tear. I mean, so, but I'm a, I know me, and I know probably what happened was one day I'm doing something, I felt a little something, I was like, ooh, that didn't feel good. I pro- maybe, maybe, maybe I should stop. Nah, let's push through that pain. That's real men. Real men push through the pain. No pain, no gain. Well, I'm going to have to call falsy on that one. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, and you know, as men, we're just, we're, just, we're just stubborn, right? So no, I'm sure that there were little warning signs like that, but I just ignored them, and I was, would push through them, and then your body compensates, right? It said, well, I'm still going to do that. If I do this like this way, I can do that. I can still do that. That's good, right? That means there's no problem there anymore. And then something else after you said, well, you know what? If I go at it like this way, I'm good. It doesn't hurt when I go at it like that. That's good. I don't have any problem anymore. No, problem's still there doofus and you're making it worse every time you do that just sawing it right in half but you just go on just go ahead do what you got to do all right so wear and tear wear and tear on the shoulder wear and tear of life I want to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus and just this one passage it really is a great passage for us to see the pattern and the marriage of these two worlds This world, which exists in the truth of our position in Christ and what we have in him and what he's given us, and this position that acknowledges the hardships and the trials of this world. This is Jesus in John chapter 16. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, I have told you all this. Stop. Let me tell you what all this is. This is the Last Supper. And all this is he literally just told them everything that's about to happen that he is going to be arrested, that he is going to be crucified, that their world is going to be turned upside down. He even told them, you're going to leave. You're going to scatter. You're going to be gone. You know how much of that they heard? Nothing. I mean, they were high on Jesus. They've been walking with him. He's been healing people. I mean, they've seen people that didn't even have an arm grow an arm. They've seen blind people get their sight. The lame start walking. The sick are healed. Demons are... They're seeing all that. So they're like, man, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. We know about him. We've read about him in the Old Testament. Surely he is because you can't do that unless you are the Messiah. So when he turns around and says... I'm going to be handed over to the authorities, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. Cognitive dissonance. That can't happen. They didn't have a discussion. Hey, guys, what do you think about that? You think he's telling us the truth? You think he's a little... They didn't have that conversation. They just, they just completely in one ear and out the other. Like that, that does not line up with what we've been experiencing for the past three and a half years. But Jesus said, I've told you all this so that you may have What? Peace in me. Here on earth you will have many what? Trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So now Jesus is marrying these two worlds. Jesus is saying to them, this is coming and you can't stop it. Nothing you can do about it. This has to happen. This is a part of what has to happen because of what is on this earth, the curse that is on this earth, the separation that is between humanity and God. This has to happen. But I need you to take heart because I don't exist just there. I exist over here as well. See, you can't see those things coming. I can. I have told you exactly what is going to happen so that you can put your faith and trust in that I know what's coming. So although it might blindside you, although the diagnosis might might have blindsided you, 
Although that loss might have blindsided you, although that, that crazy bill might have blindsided you, I saw that coming. And I have a plan. And so you and I just need to get on the same page. And we need to have a conversation. And I need you to pull me into that. Because when you pull me into that, you pull in supernatural peace. You're still going to be in that situation or circumstance. But you're going to walk through it differently. Because now we've got the person in the middle. And this is who we need to be. And I believe this is what cathedral does very well. Now we're not there. And we're not there. Now when somebody comes and says, hey man, I know you're like a follower of Jesus. You go to that weird church cathedral. Like, do um, you ever like have troubles or like life just gets, oh man, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just this week, let me tell you what I'm going through. But you know, I've got, I've got this crazy friend, man. His name is Jesus. And here's the thing. I go to him every morning. And I take this thing to him. He really doesn't want me to carry it at all, but it's so hard for me sometimes. It's like every morning I get up and I'm worried about it or I'm anxious about it, but I get up and I go to him and I say, Jesus, here you go. And he tells me to do that. He tells me to cast my cares on him because he cares for me. And I can't explain it to you, but when I do that, it's like I just have this peace. Situation hadn't changed, but I'm okay. And now that person says, man, I can get on board with that. You're living in the same world that I'm living in. But there's something different about you, and the difference is that peace. So Jesus goes through this, and basically what he's telling them is, hey, man, life is hard. Life is hard, and we all experience that same hard life in the wear and tear of life. Here's just a few things. Pop that uh, life is hard, wear and tear. There you go. Wear and tear. These are just a few things I thought of. So just take a look at that list. Take it, you know, finances, depression, anxiety, fear, addiction, divorce, loneliness, loss of a loved one, injustice, all of that. So just take a minute and look at all that. I'm going to give you a minute because I'm going to quiz you and see how honest y'all are. All right. You look at that list. Everybody online, hi. I forgot to say hey. Hey. Look at that list. Now, how many of you would say, just being honest, nobody's going to know which one, right? But just being honest, how many of you in this room would say, I have struggled with at least one of those? Raise your hand. I saw a smile. Y'all are so honest. I love that. Now, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, those three question marks, um, th those stand for denial. That's yours. Okay? So if I asked again, everybody could, could raise their hand. Why? Because we all live in the same hard world, right? I get so excited when I look over here and I see these young people and when I look over here and I see these young people because I'm going to tell you what, I mean, I'm up there. According to MT, I'm over 100 years old and life is hard. Yes, it is hard, but I'm going to tell you what, these guys are facing a mountain, man. I mean, between the social media and the airbrush, my life is perfect. My children are perfect. My marriage is perfect. All that mess, man. They, got to, they, have to, they look at that, and it gets in their minds in a comparison. Man, they need to hear some truth. Some truth is, man, you ain't got to airbrush nothing. Thank you. You ain't got to airbrush. Hey, ain't nobody need to airbrush what God made, man. Come on. All right, I got to move. That was not in my notes. And I will get on that because it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. When I see stuff going on with the young people, and I know what's driving it is this crazy, impossible thing to reach with body image. Men and women, guys and girls, it doesn't matter. And it just, anyway, all right, got to move on. Okay, so here's the thing. The source of all that, what is the source of all that is the curse. It's the curse that Pastor Dave referred to last week when he was talking about, you know, how do we partner with God with our finances to get underneath the umbrella and kind of get a, a separation from that curse that is on the land. But again, my heart, wanting you to know big picture, you need to understand why the curse, where it came from, and what it produced. Again, so you can understand these two different sides. So what we know is when we look in creation is that God started creating. And after everything that God created, he made a statement. So let me just test your biblical knowledge. So in Genesis 1, we hear that God created the light and he saw that it was good. If you don't know the answer, that was the answer to everything I'm about to say. He created land and water and saw that it was the seed-bearing plants and saw that they were the stars in the sky, and they were 
Yes, the fish and the birds, and they were. The land animals, and they were. Man, and he was. Yes, everything was good. Does anybody know what the very first thing God saw that was not good? In his perfect creation, the fall hadn't happened yet. But he saw something and he said, that's not good. Anybody know what it is? Just said it. That the man was alone. So even in God's perfect created order, everything, absolutely perfection, man being alone was not good. And he remedied that. He supplied Adam with, with somebody else to partner along with him so that he wouldn't be alone. All right, Eddie, well, here's where the story doesn't make any sense to me. All right? Everything's perfect. Adam's perfect. Eve's perfect. they got a perfect relationship with God. What is up with that tree? Okay, I'm going to explain that. For those of you that don't know, in the Garden of Eden were two trees. One, the tree of life. God said, you can eat from that anytime you want. The other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, just don't eat from that one. Do anything you want. Here, go, subdue, multiply, fill, da-da-da. Don't eat any of the fruit from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why is that? What is the purpose of that? Well, I found a great explanation in the Ashbury Bible commentary, so I'm going to read that, and I'm going to kind of read it slow so you can see it. The tree of knowledge then highlights a created order that is maintained by obedience to the creator. Stop. Don't read any further. I said stop. Somebody else still reading. I see your eyeballs moving. I want you to catch this. The reason for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that our ruling and reigning on this earth was to be a partnership with God. And the only way there can be a partnership is if there is a choice and a decision that I have to make as part of the partner in this partnership to maintain what we have here. If there's no choice, if all I'm doing is exactly what you said, exactly the way you said to do it, then that's like a dictatorship. But the moment you give me a choice to do what I want to do the way I want to do it, and I choose and say, but no, I'm not going to. I'm going to stay over here on this side where everything is running perfect. As long as I have that choice, now there's order. And there's no other creature on the face of the planet that has that. Nobody else was created to be in partnership with God in creation. So obedience to the creator, that was the only knowledge necessary for man to acquiesce to the will of God and continue to experience harmony with the rest of creation as well as with God or participate in disobedience, which will bring chaos to the created order. The loss of man's innocence results not from his knowledge of these alternatives, but from the conscious decision to defy God's command. One is guilty on the basis of what one does rather than what one knows. So there was nothing evil about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nothing. That was not an evil tree. It's not like when they ate that, evil went into them. What was evil was the enemy coming with the deception and convincing Adam and Eve that they could be equal to God. Rather than being partners, they could be equal to him, possibly even rise above them if they took matters into their own hands and they made that conscious choice to disobey God. So now God steps into the equation. And now we have the curse. And here are the four parts of the curse. One was the serpent. He said, because of what you did, you're going to be the most cursed and despised creature. And every lady said, amen, yes. Very few women like snakes. I know there's some weird people out there that like to keep them and hang on to them and hug them and love them and squeeze them and touch them and all that. Okay, that's an anomaly. Most people don't like the snakes. I would argue that the snake is the most despised creature that there is. For women, he said, now there's going to be pain in your childbirth. I have always wanted to know, what was it going to be like before that? Could we not have had just one baby to see what would have happened? Because evidently there wasn't going to be any pain. So like, I mean, did it, was it just like, you know, you build up pressure? No, I don't, I don't know. Like what, like, like what happened? Just they're not there and then they are there? I don't know. But I was like, I would like to know these things. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. Then, ooh, look at this one. A desire to control your husband. Oh, that's a tough one right there. 
I see a lot of smiles out there. Husbands, don't go home and tell you, see, that's what's wrong right there. You're under that curse. I'm telling you, don't do that. Jesus came and took care of that curse for you. Then man, he let man have it. I mean, when you slow down and look at it, he let, he let Adam have it. He said, the ground is cursed because of you. Now, I personally, I would rather God say to me, you know what, Eddie, you made that choice. Your life is going to be cursed. Nope, he didn't say it. He said, you know, he said, Eddie, look around. You see this beautiful creation, all this wonderful stuff that I created? Now it's all cursed. You know why? Because of you. Dang. Like, man, just, just put something on me, you know. Let the beautiful creation keep on going. But no. Nope, he said, because of you, it is cursed. And now you are going to struggle to make a living. Life's going to be hard. And in the earth, he said, he didn't say you're cursed. He said, because of man, I want you to bring forth thorns and thistles. In other words, make it even harder. Now, all that sounds like, gum. that's rough. And it is, but you and I don't live in that time. You and I aren't living in the time of pre-Jesus. We're living in a time of post-Jesus. And you and I have the wonderful privilege and honor of having a New Testament that is all about the Savior who came and gave his life for us to give us a way to walk through this cursed world in a way that we can have victory and hope in life even in the midst of it. And we find this in Romans 8, verses 18 through 21. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Man, doesn't that have a whole new meaning when you understand the curse? That even creation, though it was subjected not because of anything it had done, because of what Adam had done, it's even looking forward to the day when all this is going to be made right. And that is our future glory. A day is coming. When you breathe your last breath here, you are stepping into an unimaginable eternity with no death, no decay, no hopelessness, no sickness, no disease, no shame, no pain, no tears, none of that. It is purely being in the life-giving presence of God for all eternity. And when you understand that, and when you understand that God is in eternity, then you understand that our, I don't know, 85 to 95 years here on earth equals out to, since the days of a thousand years and a thousand years, that's a day, I don't know, that probably works out to about 18, 19 minutes in heaven. So while we're here, yes, life is going to happen. But God doesn't just leave it there. He just doesn't say, well, that's life, it's going to happen. No. No, he said, look, if you'll follow my example, if you'll follow the example of my son. So let me set up the example that Jesus gave us. And I'm going to set it up by going to an Old Testament book, the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you don't know, was written by a man named Solomon. And most people, when you hear Solomon, you think that Solomon, what did Solomon possess more than anybody else? Wisdom. It was God-given wisdom. When Solomon was a very young king, God said to him, Solomon, I'm going to give you anything you want. Ask for whatever you will as king, and I will give it to you. And Solomon's request was, he said, God, I want wisdom to lead your people. Man, right after God's own heart. So God's like, you know what I'm going to do, Solomon? I'm not only going to make you the wisest person in the world, I'm going to give you riches too because you didn't ask for them. Because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for riches, I'm going to give you both. But he did have a couple of little caveats to that. He said this. He said, now, Solomon, let me just tell you some things. You're going to be king now, so you're going to have a lot of power, a lot of authority. Do not multiply unto yourself wives. Don't do it. Now, we can argue how smart Solomon is at this point. Because every man in here, you have a wife. Anybody want to have two, three? That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying we have to work on a lot. Like my wife keeps me on my toes. Like I'm learning how to communicate, right? I couldn't do that with more than one. Solomon had more wives than anybody in the Bible, over 100. And then he had concubines. Then he said, now Solomon, don't multiply unto yourself horses. Why would he say horses? Well, because in that day, horses represented strength and military might, power. Solomon had the most horses ever recorded by any person in history that we know of. 
two things. God said, just don't do this and don't do this, but he did them. What did that result in? It resulted in a miserable life. It resulted in the book of Ecclesiastes. It resulted in him writing an entire book, 12 chapters, where he now was the smartest person in the world, and he did not have the Spirit of God. And he's trying to find hope in what he calls everything under the sun, which is this world. And the conclusion he comes to, there is none. There is none. Twelve chapters. See, y'all need this kind of information, right? Because if you don't, you might be thinking, this whole thing is the word of God. And it is. It's inspired by God. The book of Ecclesiastes was inspired by God to make the point that, hey, there's no hope in this world. But if you don't know that, you might say, I'm going to go find me a life verse. I'm going to get me a life verse out of Ecclesiastes. Oh, Right here, chapter 1, verse 15. What is wrong cannot be made right, and what is missing cannot be recovered. That's going to be my life verse. How depressing is that? That was Solomon's reality. That's not yours. That's not mine. The lost things, the broken things, they can be recovered. They can be repaired. Somehow, Solomon had the wisdom to see one glimmer of thing. He goes, if you want to read it, I, I honestly, I strongly encourage it. Because what it does is it, it makes the point very clear that money, possessions, sex, relationships, power, uh, buildings, houses, none of that ever fills that gap. But in the middle of that, he makes this astonishing discovery in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, a lot of you are going to know this verse. Is you know what? Here's what I have found to be true is that two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Here's my paraphrase of that whole passage. We all take hits to our faith in this life, but having friends softens the blows. Because the same life is coming at us. Those same things you saw on the screen earlier are coming at us, but we need friends. Jesus needed friends. Jesus traveled with an entire entourage of people that followed him everywhere he went. And then in that entourage of people, there were 12 men that were very close friends to him. And then there were three that were considered his most trusted friends. And what Jesus experienced with all those friends around him, what they saw in Jesus, they saw Jesus get angry. They saw Jesus go into the temple and get so angry at the religious people that were supposed to be representing the true heart of God, but they had so just distorted it and perverted it that he flipped over tables and fashioned a whip and drove them out of there. He was just so mad at how they were misrepresenting God. And then they watched as he went to the tomb of Lazarus and they were all around him when they saw something that nobody had ever seen up to that point. Jesus gets to where Lazarus now has died, and he starts crying. Now, he's not crying for Lazarus because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He's crying because he's standing in a place full of people that are absolutely devastated by the death and the loss of someone that they love. And he's looking at all these heartbroken people, and it just, it just crushed him. And he cried. And you know what else Jesus experienced with his circle of friends? Betrayal. His close circle, his inner most trusted 12 people, one of those people betrayed him. He experienced that. So my hypothesis, test it and see if you think I'm right or not, is that if Jesus needed all those people around him, man, don't we need some people around us? We need friends. 
We need friends in the worst way. I love this passage of scripture, John 15, where Jesus now helps them understand. Because I, honestly, I think the reason he said this was they were in such a mode of you're so much greater than we are, which was true, absolutely true. But Jesus said, I want to reframe your mind when it comes to how you see me in your life. And he said this to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me. Let me back up one more time. Everybody in this room, you didn't choose Jesus. Jesus himself chose you. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. So here's this hypothesis that I have of the need for church like we're doing church right now. But then beyond that, the need for friendships. A, because Jesus needed them. B, kind of going back to my sling here. When you see me in this sling, you know I've had some kind of injury. It's very obvious. Like, oh, the first question everybody says is that I have been asked 575,000 times what happened. I need to get it printed on here. So you guys just read that. So when you see that, that's obvious. But this is what I believe. I believe every weekend when you walk through those doors... If we had the ability to see into your inner world and the wounds that you've taken through your life, some of you came through those doors today and you got a sling. You just got a wound. It's just you're trying to figure out how to get through it. Some of you came through here in crutches. Some of y'all needed a wheelchair to get in here. I'm pretty sure I heard some beeping because a few of y'all might even be on life support when you came through those doors. But you know, what do we do? We all do what we're called to do, right? We put on our Sunday best, not your clothes, but your face. And we smile, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to. This needs to be a place where you are encouraged and inspired. That's why we gather together. That's why we all come into this room. It is like little coals in a fire. They're scattered all over the world, but then you bring them all into this room. And in that moment of worship, man, you might just have a little bit of faith right now, but your little bit of faith is right next to his little bit of faith. And them two little bits of faith together, those suckers start to glow. And then the whole room starts engaging their faith, and the whole room just gets on fire. But here's, here's the thing that I want to address. What happens when you walk back out the door? Because if nobody knows what's going on in your inner world, you have the worst condition possible that God himself said, that's just not good. And it's loneliness. We all need to know somebody knows. We all need somebody to talk to. We all need somebody to share with. You know what gets me jacked up about that young adults ministry? Is now they're going to have, they're going to come, they're going to have fun, they're going to sing, they're going to have great, they're going to play games, it's going to be fun, it's going to be amazing. But here's the other thing that's going to happen. And things that you won't see, a little, a conversation as somebody's walking to their car to leave, and they're going to say, hey, MT, man, can I, can I chat with you for just a second before I go? Like, man, I'm struggling. That's what gets me excited. Because the moment they say that to MT, MT is sensitive enough to Jesus and has enough of Jesus in him to know. He said, man, I can't, but I can give you some Jesus. I can, give you the, I can listen to you, man. What, tell me. Tell me what's going on. I can encourage you. I can't fix it. But I promise you, if you'll just tell me, man, you're going to feel so much better. You know why? Because you're not going to be alone anymore. I'm in here with you. And that's what we all need. So I want to do a little experiment here to kind of prove part of my point, to prove that whole, you know, we're all together as embers in a fire. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to sit there and just close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to use that same list that I put up on the screen earlier, but this is what I want to do with everybody keeping your eyes closed I'm going to go through those one by one. I'm going to take my time with it because I want you to have time to respond. But as I say these words, if it's something that you are or have struggled with, I want you just to lift your hand. You don't have to shoot it up into the air. You don't, you know, if you've got somebody sitting next to you, you're like, man, I don't want them to feel me move. Then they're going to know I raised my hand. 
Just do whatever little gesture you can do just to make a conscious acknowledgement of, yeah, yeah, I've struggled with that. First one would be finances. How many of you in here would say, man, financially, I just need a breakthrough? Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us. How about your job or your career or lack thereof? Like, man, I just need some direction. I need some understanding. What about family? Man, I wish my family, Eddie, I just, I just want them to be whole. I just, I just want the family that I know God wants me to have. I want them all to be where I know he wants them to be. What about, what about a diagnosis? Cancer. Maybe in your family there's Alzheimer's or leukemia or Lou Gehrig's or so many. Just so debilitating. What about the loss of a loved one that you're just struggling Just having a hard time pushing through. Depression. Yeah. Anxiety. I can raise my hand on that one. This past year, I had an uh, anxiety attack for the first time in my life. Divorce. Yeah, it just wreaks havoc. Rejection. Fear. Just the fear of the unknown, the fear of... You know, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? What about my family? What about addiction? Just something that we all turn to, something we try to do to get our mind off of it, to take our mind off it, to get some sense of relief. Despair, when you're just feeling like, man, I just don't know how much more I can take. Yeah. And then once that despair reaches that, that place where We hope it never goes, but so often it does. How many of you would be honest and just say, I have contemplated just pulling the plug, just going ahead and saying, I'm done. Yeah. About loneliness. I just want somebody to see me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Everybody open your eyes. Let me explain to you why I did that. One reason was, I want you to know that you're not alone. Because hands went up on every single word and not a single word had one hand up. Which means there are people just like you in this room, online, that have struggled with these things. So I want you to know that you're not alone. But then I want that to register with you. I, wanna, I want us to go through something where we're going we're gonna to turn that over to God. Because here's, here's what I don't like. I can't stand it when we can't admit that Christians can suffer with depression and anxiety and fear. It's so easy to get into religion and you start feeling bad. But, but I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to have these things. No, God doesn't want you to have them. But man, you've got to fight through them. It is a fight. And part of that fight is being able to go to somebody and be honest and say, man, I'm struggling. And I'm all by myself on an island and I need somebody to come help get me. And so many times the way Jesus does that is through a friend. Just like Doug was talking about in worship, there's a story of a man in the Bible who was crippled to the point where he couldn't even walk. Not only could he not walk, he had heard all the stories about Jesus healing people. But for some reason in his mind, in his world, Jesus won't do that for me. And so he had friends that went and had to dig a hole through the roof of the house because they couldn't get anywhere near Jesus. And his friends lowered him down. And Jesus healed him because of their faith. That's what we all need. Here's what I don't want. I don't want us to come in here, get on fire, get encouraged, inspired, which we're about to do, man. We're about to turn this stuff loose. But I don't want you to walk back out those doors without making the conscious decision that I am going to do something. I'm going to take a step and be proactive about not being lonely anymore. So that's the ultimate goal. But before we do that, let's taste a little bit of heaven right now. What do you think about that? Everybody stand up to your feet. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get a little uh, hot embers going in here. So I want you to hold your hands in front of you just like this, or if you're like me, hold a hand, which I saw my brother out there in the cafe. There's somebody else in here. He got his left arm in the sling. So hold your hand right there. And I want you to picture 
that one thing or two things or th- however many it is, those things that just, you know they've distracted you. You know they're occupying way too much of your mind. You know that it's bringing you down, it's weighing you down, and you know God doesn't want that for you. So I wanted to hold, it, hold that in your hands. And then what we're going to do in this song is we're going to make a confession. We're going to say, you know what, God? I have let this thing distract me from you. I have let this thing cause me to forget how wonderful you are, how faithful you are, how powerful you are. So I'm admitting that I need to let this thing go. And then as we sing that song, when you feel like you're ready to put your faith and trust back to God and to give this back to him, I want you just to lift your hands up and surrender to him. And he promises he'll take it. He commands us. He said, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. So when you're ready to give that thing up, you release it and give it to him. You just begin to praise God. Just lift up your hands. Worship him. Praise him. Sometimes that's what you got to do in the midst of what you're going through. You got to praise God. Even when you don't feel like it, you got to praise him. Just keep clapping your hands. Because sometimes you just got to do that. Even if you don't feel like doing that, you got to do that. You got to say, my feelings say this, but I'm going to lift my hands to God. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him my worship because he's worthy of it. I know that he is with me. I know that he won't leave me. I know that he won't forsake me. God is on my side. He is fighting for me. The world is against me, but he is for me. And he that is in me is greater than he that is in this world. Amen and amen and amen. And so it lifts and so it breaks and you get that fire and you just get that that spark and that ember and, and you get that sense of peace. And this is a peace that the Bible says, God says, I give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. What did he mean by that? He meant, man, there's a way that you can go through this world and you can go through some terrible trials and sorrows. But I will bring you peace right in the middle of it, not on the other side, in it, because that's when you need it. And I know this when you need it. And sometimes it helps you just to see others doing what I'm talking about. And in first service, I was sharing how it was just blessing my heart this weekend to watch this young man on the drums back here because about a year ago, I was watching him play the drums and I thought it was going to be the last time he played them because of a diagnosis that he received and the doctors weren't supplying him with any hope but that man never lost hope and next thing I know he comes back and he played the drums on another weekend then I look up there and he plays the drums on another weekend then I saw him last week I said daggone Daryl you looking good like what is going on he said man God's still working miracles he's still in that miracle working business because that's what he does now If you ask Daryl, Daryl, what's made the difference? He loves this church. He loves these Sunday services. Messages are good, aren't they, Daryl? Yeah, they're real good. (laughs) But he's not going to tell you what got me through with them Sunday services, man. No, he's going to tell you, buddy, I've got an entourage around me just like Jesus had. I got me some friends and family that, man, they just stick by me thick and thin. And they've had to do for me and take care of me and help me. Hard for a man to let that happen, isn't it, Daryl? I know, because somebody's been cutting my daggone grass all summer long. And I've been having to sit there and just watch them go back and forth in my yard. Can't do nothing. Oh, mm, yeah. But that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And that puts things in perspective, don't it? I was complaining this week because it was this week that I got the news that I was going to be in this for eight weeks instead of six, that whole story I told you about. And I'm complaining to a young man over here in the hallway, and he's listening to me very, you know, very considerately. And it didn't dawn on me until I got done, and, and he saw my frustration. He saw how aggravated I was. He said, Eddie, Eddie, it's two more weeks. You're going to be fine. Now, you can amen that, but let me tell you also that the man who told me that is battling an incurable cancer. Yeah. Puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Never know what to look at him. Sucker strong as an ox, built like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Y'all Google him. He's a guy that's bodybuilder way back. I mean, you'd never know what to look at him, and you'd never know what to talk to him because his spirits are just as high as ever. And again... 
He's going to tell you, man, Eddie, you know what keeps my faith going strong is them awesome messages y'all preach on the weekend. Nope. He's going to say, it's my friends and my family. All right, Eddie, I get it, friends and family. What do I need to do? Here's what I want you to do when you walk out these doors. Some of you in here, you've already got that. You've got the friends. You've got the family. You've got your entourage. Can I just challenge you to appreciate them a little bit more? Send them a text message. Give them a phone call. Write them a note. Do something just to tell them how much you appreciate having them in your life. And not only that, but man, re-up the ante on it. Maybe you've got a group of friends, and if you're like me, you know, you used to get together, and then it gets further and further between the times of getting together because of life happening. Man, re-up the ante on that. Dial the priority up on that high because you're going to need it. We all need it. So if that's you, just appreciate them. Tell them you appreciate them. If that's not you and you say, man, Eddie, I need to do something, get out there and start looking because it takes time. Get out there and get connected. A couple of steps, you can do the growth track. And I'm not saying do the growth track because this is what I'm telling you. You do that growth track, your life will be changed in four weeks. Not because of the information we give you. Because of the the relational dynamic that happens around the small tables in there. That's going to change your life. And at the end of four weeks, we're going to have to kick you out because you're going to want to stay. And it's four weeks. Get out. Unless you want to come back and help. Or join a small group. Next week, we're launching small groups. We've got some awesome small groups. We've got hockey teams. We've got ladies' fun groups. We've got Bible studies. Find something. But here's my point is, is it takes time. I would love to tell you, hey, the first time you go to growth track or go to a small group, you're going to find your best person for life. Odds are you're not. But I can guarantee you this. If you don't go, you for sure aren't going to find them. So get intentional. Be intentional. Look around you. Find somebody, make a decision, I am going to stop being lonely and I am going to take the initiative to reach out and have the courage to begin to try to build some relationships. Amen? Amen. So I bless you with this awareness. You're not the holy roller over here. Okay, dial that down. Not all, Just dial it down. And you're not Eeyore over here. Okay, don't stay in the daggum ditch. Don't nobody want to be in a ditch with you. Get right here in the middle where you can pull the good out the holy roller and put it on top of the ditch over there and get out with your friends. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you. Keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.